this is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Today we're talking end of fiscal year with Brad Antle, the CEO of Salient CRGT. Last year, Salient Federal Solutions and CRGT merged, creating a government services company with expertise in cybersecurity, mobility, data analytics, and more. We're definitely finding that uh, the combination of Salient and CRGT now is allowing us to pursue a broader array of opportunities. So being a bit bigger in this market space has been beneficial for us and our ability to go after some larger opportunities. So definitely a difficult place for smaller companies who are graduating the small business set-aside programs to compete in, you know, against the mid-tier and the large-tier companies. So from our standpoint, uh, getting, getting bigger has been beneficial for us. Great. Has that just been the increased capability? Have you been able to tap into different different contracting opportunities that you wouldn't have been as a smaller company because of the acquisition of new capabilities within the contract, or is literally just the size helped you as well? I think uh, it gives us greater credibility. I mean, one, we certainly we certainly have more past performances that we can tap into to qualify for opportunities, and that's important. But it it also makes us a much more credible provider for larger development initiatives or larger data warehousing, data analytics opportunities. So we scale up better as a $350 million company than than either one of us did individually. Anything particularly you're excited about for your company in the coming year? Any growth areas for talent? Thinking from, you know, maybe a clearance jobs candidate? Yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, we're still hire a lot of developers. So Java developers, we're doing a lot of agile development. Uh, which relies heavily on strong, clearable talent with uh, solid programming, testing, design and development skills. We're also hiring data analysts, data architects, data warehouse specialists, as well as database administrators. And we're certainly hiring a bunch of cleared infrastructure folks uh, that can support the network uh, and, and the infrastructures, as well as do cybersecurity. And we're starting to marry up some of our different technologies like predictive analytics and cyber together to provide our customers with a better view of the potential threats that exist as opposed to just trying to analyze existing threats. We're also out there looking for folks who are more app-oriented, mobility-centric. They're looking for ways to help us web-enable, mobile-enable legacy applications because our customers are starting to think along mobility lines. So they're recognizing that more and more of their customers are mobile savvy. They, they're, they're, they're doing more of their work on mobile devices and they're trying to find ways to get out of the traditional paper-based or uh, even just traditional online web-based presence to more of a, a mobility play. Would you say that the majority of those positions are cleared positions, or do you, are you sponsoring any clearances at this point? Uh, a lot of our positions are cleared. A lot of them are not cleared, but we generally look for folks who are clearable. Even when they're not cleared, they definitely have public trust requirements. You know, we certainly put them through a level of background check just, to, just, just as an employee. But we're obviously interested in folks that are clearable. So it, it, these days, as you know, it's difficult to get a customer to allow you to clear a whole bunch of people in advance of work. They're much tighter on, on clearance allocation. It's not like we have a whole bunch of billets that we can clear people to, into in advance. Where we do have some key talent, we work with our customers to get them cleared in advance of the need. So as folks are developing their skills in areas that are in high demand, like cyber, like data analytics, uh, even senior developers, those skills are in enough demand within the cleared community that 
uh, some of our customers are willing to uh, allow us to clear them in advance. You know, end of fiscal year, end of the government fiscal year, start of the new year, some of what kind of that sometimes means for industry, what you're anticipating into the new fiscal year. So can you just kind of maybe start out with um, just some of the the plans that you make at the end of fiscal year and, and what kind of your company looks to as you're looking at both the government's end of fiscal year and your company end of fiscal year, if those happen to align? Sure. Yeah, they, they actually don't. Our, our end of our fiscal year is really, we're a calendar year basis, but uh, we orient so much of what we do around the government fiscal year anyway. We're sort of aligned that way. Typically, the last government quarter of their year, which uh, starts in July, is, is usually uh, rushed to get the procurements that have sort of been lingering or languishing out before the, the end of the, the government fiscal year. And prim- the primary driver for that is they're obviously trying to get as much bang for the, uh, for the, as they can out of their current year funding. And so they want to try to obligate funds that they have for specific purposes. Sort of that September 30th winds up being the forcing function that, that really is the catalyst that gets a lot of these procurements that have sort of been slow to evolve finally over the finish line and out. So it's typically a fairly active award period that lasts uh, government quarter, um, and even probably more so the August-September timeframe. The other thing that really drives it, I think, is the expectation that going into October will be under some sort of continuing resolution, which means that there won't be any new starts coming online. And so the customer will have to be spending at a level commensurate with 2016 levels. So just those are two the two main drivers for seeing a significant award activity over the next 30 days. And so we're definitely anticipating that. You know, we try not to schedule any significant corporate activities until after 1st of October so that we don't pull anybody away from their customer as customers are trying to grapple with. For those that have year-end funding, making as good use of, the, of this window to get funding applied to programs for meaningful objectives. So do you have any contingencies based on the continuing resolution? Does the government do that so often to you guys that it's pretty much business as usual, or how do you kind of plan for that you know, somewhat uncertain budget environment? So generally where we have acquisitions that we anticipate to be awarded in the October, November timeframe, we generally delay their expected award uh, out until the first quarter of the calendar year in 17, just because we know that there's going to be a little bit of uncertainty with a change in administration and the continuing resolution that will inevitably come out of Congress to get them through the election. So we don't anticipate any significant new starts. That's the way we sort of anticipate the impact of the uh, continuing resolution. We don't typically bid on Cat A program, Cat 1A programs that are uh, line item budget budget programs. We're typically smaller in nature. The large programs are generally around weapon systems, although it could be around significant modernization events. Uh, any any programs like that that are new will take a, a t- be delayed until the government gets their their budget approved through more than likely the new president. And I promise I won't ask you anything dicey about the election, but I will say continuing resolution, election cycle. I lived in D.C. for a decade and I never saw an election cycle like this. You have a few years on me in the business, so can you maybe talk to, is this a typical election season? Is this? I don't think there's anything typical about this election cycle. Uh, However, as it impacts government funding and the funding of government programs uh, and agency budgets, I think it's relatively typical uh, in that way. So as you know, when you get 
especially towards the end of an administration, senior government officials, uh, a lot of them start to retire early in, in advance of the uh, actual election itself. What that does to, to agencies, then it sort of gives them a little bit of a leadership void at the top, a uh, level of uncertainty in terms of uh, any significant changes in direction. So that will be somewhat dependent on who takes over. From a budgetary perspective, though, Obama's administration is preparing the 2018 budget now. It has to be submitted to Congress in February. The new administration doesn't really come in until January. But my experience is that the new administration can only make changes around the periphery of the budget. It's hard to have anything substantial impact on the budget until 2019. So that'll be the first opportunity that either a President Trump or a tre President Clinton will have to really have a fulsome budget that reflects their priorities. Obama's going to have an impact on the current budget through 17 and into 18. The Army, I had noticed a few months back, announced that they're ending their use it or lose it budget process. Has just has that? Have you seen any impact from that as far as contract awards or budget or? Even heard. Well, I think the proof will be how, how they how they act uh, through the end of September, right? So, I think the jury is still out on that, and, and we'll we'll see what the behavior is like. It's easy to say, and it's a hard thing to change the behavior. I think by the time that was put out, most plans were already in place on how to use uh, existing funds. Frankly, I'm a big fan of trying to use money throughout the year and not wait till the end, the fourth quarter of the government year, to, to spend it. I don't think it necessarily gets spent on the best things. And now having said that, sometimes we're the beneficiary of that. Well, they'll fund a program in advance. What it does is it typically gives them a bit more flexibility in how they spend their money next year. Properly managed, year-end funding can actually provide greater flexibility for our customers in the next fiscal year. Sometimes we know that there's a system that we're going to be delivering in early 2017, and if the customer wants to pre-fund that, we can go out and start acquiring the materials we need to build that system for them uh, out of $16. So, uh, and what that does is it frees up some of their budget in 17 to, to reappropriate. So uh, done right, I think you're right. It can be valuable to the government. But in general, I think if the government programs funding, it'd be nice to see it spent evenly throughout the year. No, I think like, so you make, you make a great point about how, yeah, if they can get something funded for the next year, it's all about thinking ahead versus just trying to empty out the bank account. That's true. And my, my experience has been lately that the government, has, the, the, especially DOD, has so many priorities that if they have the luxury of some year-end funding, they have some really meaningful things to apply it against. So you had, in the other interview you've done, you mentioned LPTA. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit since that's such a hot-and-button topic. And it directly relates to kind of the talent acquisition we do because if you're talking high-level cyber talent, you can't get that talent cheap. But in an LPTA market, we've had a lot of complaints from recruiters and our hiring managers saying, you know, the kind of talent the government requires, they can't get for the price that they're bidding on for these contracts. They want the best cyber defenses. They have to be willing to pay a, an equitable salary. And at these contract prices, they just can't do it. So can you speak to kind of the comments you made about LPTA and, you know, your company's philosophy on that right now? Yeah, I mean, in general, we try to steer away from LPTA because, in, in general, at the end of the day, we haven't seen customers, to your point, really satisfied with the level of talent that they're able to to get in an LPTA environment. So there, there are obviously good points and bad points about LPTA. From a contracting officer's perspective, it minimizes the, the, the chance for a protest because 
you basically make anybody who can cross a very low threshold technically acceptable, and then it's a price shootout. The problem for the mission side of the house, or the customer who's actually delivering the service, is that they now have to deliver sometimes a complex service like cybersecurity, cyber warfare, with the lowest price labor force available, which are not going to be your best players. If you can fill them, so many times we've seen customers who have had an LPTA procurement, and their contractors can't fill the jobs that are out there. It's not even that they can't find good talent. They can't find any talent to do the work at the prices bid. You know, and you're probably familiar with this, but a few years ago, even the, even the intelligence community got sucked into the LPTA environment, and their missions significantly were impacted by the inability of contractors to find high-quality, clear talent to support their missions at those rates. And so the, the intelligence community was probably the first to start going away from LPTA for IT services because they, they, they weren't satisfying their mission requirements. More and more, our customers were seeing uh, shy away from LPTA, even though it may place a greater burden on the con contracts uh, shop to put out a more robust procurement that would stand up to any potential kind of litigation for um, for a protest. So uh, I think, you know, I, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, from a company perspective, to respond to an LPTA doesn't take a lot of effort. It's really a fairly minimal technical proposal and then a pricing activity. But the margins are so thin uh, that it doesn't allow us the kind of investment we need to really differentiate our company to our customers. So because of that, we tend to stay away from LPTA. Uh, it doesn't satisfy our customers, and it doesn't give us the, the ability to invest in developing solutions. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. For more government contracting and security clearance updates, visit news.clearancejobs.com.